This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupans. Yes. It's last call for burgers in the breezeway at their Lake Grove store. Last two Thursdays in September, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m., burgers and fries in the breezeway. Plus their new regional dinner series in Cellars E. Burnside that's on the second Fridays of each month. Four course dinners plus wine pairings focused on specific regions of France. Now, here's where I get to use my uh, French accent, Chris. October 13th, Bordeaux. Okay, that was easy. November 10th, Loire Valley. And uh, you can purchase tickets at zoopants.com. Valley is not uh, No, is no, not no I was like, I was hoping to, Val. to show off. Val, well, Val, Val, Val de Bo- Val. Valet is actually... Is it? La Valet. Right. Oui. But what's, here's, if you get nothing from this podcast, you need to go to zoopans.com mm-hmm. and subscribe to their news with a Z feed, and you get deals in your inbox. I got... Uh, I got two for one burger yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Great burger meat, and also they have buy one get one steaks. Free four pounds of peaches. Yep. So sign up at zupans.com, and of course, then you'll go buy those wonderful things. Right. That you tell us where. Well, it's the three locations: McAdam, Lake Grove, and of course on Burnside. But it was pointed out in our copy here that you were a member of the news feed, and I was not. So I actually went. As we were just d- talking just now, yeah, signed up for it. It took me less than 20 seconds to do it. Yeah. Just go and to zoopans.com, left corner, email sign up. And here's what I do. I go in the store, and while I'm wandering around there, I yeah. pull up my email and do a Zupan search, and the air comes up. There it is. Here's what I'm going to get free. Yeah. Uh, it's n- nothing better. Zupans.com is where you sign up. It is time once again for Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's called Right at the Fork with your host, Chris Angelus. And you're Court Johnson. Yes. I, as far as I know, last time I saw you, you were Court Johnson. I, uh, and you are now. Yeah, I, I was filling out my uh, passport papers just the other day, and uh, I am, in fact, Court, well, technically, I'm Courtney Johnson. I was but... going to say, I got to put, uh, my passport is Robert Christopher. Ah, uh, yeah. Why, you, am I to list, why are we talking about our passport information? Uh, you know, I think- Putting uh, it out there. Uh, sometimes, you know, people like to look behind that, that wall, that barrier we throw up sometimes. And your social security number is? Is uh, 721. Just call Equifax. Right. Yeah. They'll give it to you. Don't even get me started. About <laughs> By the way, th- this will be a little PSA, and this might be a little late, but they have that website you can go to to check to see if you might it's be. bullshit. It is total because I was making up crap and putting it in there, and it's like, yep, yep, you're on the list. Well, not only that, they're doing it. So you sign up. They're basically looking for more information, and they want to sell you shit. Yeah. I, th- I think they're waiving some fees, but like, uh, no. I, I, th- I think the the – the, the government has the to sm- come down well, on that. No, I think the uh, Oregon uh, AG is saying don't do that. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people are, yeah. are doing that. So uh, what does uh, this have to do with today's guest? Absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> but, hey, we're here with you. So we, are, we enjoy yeah. talking about those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we don't have... get the, I would like to have a good 20 minutes to bullshit, but we don't think people would actually listen to that. Maybe, maybe we should just do a, uh, a bullshit episode. Yeah. Hey, and, by the way, what we've never mentioned is there may be some people who only tune in on Wednesdays and right. listen to the interviews. We have some really cool episodes that feature Gary the Foodie right. every month. We drop those typically on Mondays. Mondays. We have other ones, other uh, that are sound bites. Yeah. Uh, recently, Petchluck from uh, Petchluck's Food Adventures is talking about beer right. and beer food. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and you can go back in the archives and all sorts of subjects right. in the, Portland. The, the best, best thing up. for you to do is to subscribe, and so it just automatically downloads to wherever, you know, whatever listening device you're using, and that way you get it automatically. Right, and the second best thing to do is to rate us and then make a comment sure. so that we yeah. get to the top of the feeds yeah. and everything's just hunky-dory yeah. if, if you do that. Absolutely. But so speaking of hunky-dory, we liked our last episode with David Machado so much, which was episode number? 100. It was the 100th episode of Right at the Fork. Pretty significant. Right. So we're into the 130s now. We keep going. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, those are just the interview numbers. So sure. if you add There's all the more, sound bites, uh, sure, yeah, we we got a, I think we've got over two hundred something but, like that. But at any rate, we liked it so much, and um, he's been around the Portland food scene. Uh, you know, he was at Pazzo, and uh, I believe he hired Vitaly Paley, which we talk about yeah, I think, yeah, I think in he, episode one hundred. I think he talks a little bit about it here too, just right, slightly, right, and. Um, and he was at the Heathman, and uh, you also may know him from Laurel Kitchen, mm-hmm. which was over on Division for years, and then Vindaloo, fantastic Indian restaurant, and now he's got a big thing going with hotels at Nel, Nel Centro, Altabira City Tavern, and uh, just opened Tanner Creek Tavern down in the Pearl at the Hampton Suites, I believe it is, and, um, and he's featuring uh, Trevor Payne um, there as the chef. And that is a, we'll talk a little bit about that restaurant. And um, I had the opportunity to enjoy it the other night. I loved it. Yeah. Great interview, which sped by again like the first one did. So I think this is a great opportunity to do the two, two-parter. two Listen to episode 100, listen to this one, listen to this one, then go back to that one. Right. And I ha- I didn't know David at all Yeah, when he walked in for episode 100. It was the first right. time we spoke and we really enjoyed each other. Mm-hmm. And, Um, And I enjoyed this interview just as much and hope everybody else does too. David, you look a little tired. I saw a yawn over there. I was in the gym this morning early. Ah, what time? Eight. Eight? That's good. That's not bad. How late were you working last night? I wasn't. I went to a party last night. Oh. But I got up and I went to the gym. What do you do at the gym? I have a trainer. Beats the living shit out of me. Oh, good. It's uh, good. I deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> Who else beats the living shit out of you? That's it. Just the trainer. That's it. I pay him well to do that. So everything else is going okay? Things are going pretty well. You got a new restaurant opening up. Yeah. In <clears throat> four, five weeks. Five weeks. Five weeks. So we're in the thick of it right now. So uh, tell us a little bit about it. As long as we're on that subject, well, we ought to talk about it. It's, uh, it's going to be in the Pearl. Never, never been. In no, business. you don't have any place in the. No, pearl. no prints in the pearl. Never worked there. Never uh, ran a place or owned a place, so that's going to be different. And so, how did that come about? It's always real estate. It's always a, a location that somebody thinks is a good location, whether the deal is good for a restaurant, you know. And I would imagine you have a pretty good feel for that now. You've been doing this for how many years? Here in Portland, yeah. uh, I've been doing it on my own for. 14 years okay for others for 25 years okay yeah so yeah it's uh, i think all these restaurants are specific to where they land and i mean it's an old adage location location which everyone makes fun of but i think it's very interesting in relation to the restaurant world here because we've talked about it a few times but locations, you know, I guess they matter anywhere, but the neighborhood is, is yeah. key here. And in the Pearl, that's a big neighborhood. You know, the Pearl has a series of uh, different 
facts and figures that make it interesting, like the number one activity in the Pearls tourism, which I didn't know until I met with the <clears throat> lovely person that runs the business association. So more people leave their hotel rooms and go to the Pearl and shop and eat and drink and So sightsee. most of the people are not from here. That are, and, and at any given moment, the likelihood of running into someone from out of town is higher yeah. than someone from Yeah, a lot, just who is on the streets during the day and night can well, typically be moving from... Uh, and then the whole thing of... Uh, housing there and how the housing was built, the size, the condos, now the rentals, who occupies them, what's left unoccupied, what's absentee, the age groups, millennials, you know, baby boomers. Those things are all in flux. It was really hurt by the recession. Mm -hmm. The retail was hurt really bad there and the restaurant business was hurt really bad, uh, kind of almost on the level of bend. And I think it's recovering and it maybe has recovered. Uh, and then the plans for the rest of the Pearl, the, what's on the books, what's committed to building is enormous. We can talk about the pros and cons of rapid development in Portland. And then there's the whole issue of the post office project, which uh, is only a few blocks from where I'm going in. And if it gets built, if it gets approved, uh, it will be the biggest urban renewal project that Portland's ever seen. And so we've seen South Waterfront, we've seen the Pearl, we're seeing the Lloyd District right now, but this one's much bigger than those. Is it really? Yeah, and it's hard to even comprehend. What's happening? So uh, just blocks tell, and tell, bl blocks I'm and blocks and blocks. Other acres. people are as ignorant as I am. It's acres. Of, it's acres. I think it's thirteen acres. And so, so how the, much of that is postal, and how much of that post, is, post office is leaving? Oh, it's leaving. So that's just going to become okay. Pristine blocks, all lined in parks and plazas and. Housing and retail and water and, yeah. Um, you know, I'm sorry I didn't know that, but I've kind of given up on news since, well, the, since the election. The, I'm just kind of like not paying attention as All much news anymore. is local. So, uh, yeah, that what's going to happen in the pro is going to continue to grow for another decade. It's been growing since uh, the early 90s, and it's, it's amazing. So, anyway, I went into this location because I think that uh, it's going to be good. I would imagine that would be that would be better than it's going to be bad. Well, or it's going to be doubtful, or it's going to be I don't know. And we hope that the neighborhood grows. I think there's enough on the on the in permit that you can see what the development is going to be. So, is that something that you're doing uh, that you do specifically and have consultants, or you know enough to to look at all the data and yeah, say, no, I, okay, I, here's exactly why we should be there. Yeah, I do it myself. There's no one. There's really no one. We don't. I mean, there's a company, but. I don't have an assistant or anything or any specialist. So, do you have any kind, any benchmark that that you need to uh, that needs to be there for you to decide a on something? Absolutely, yeah. It's been it's been honed over the years to figure out what that is. But uh, my goal is that it presents very little risk for me financially. I don't want to um, become. I don't want to teeter and worry about covers or who's coming or not or check average or any of the financial pressures. I want the deal to let us breathe and grow into the space for a number of years. And uh, that's a wonderful thing to have as a restaurateur. Not a lot of people get that opportunity. But um, I don't want to go in and struggle and find out that the deal that I did was onerous to begin with and that failure is in the future. And have you had those deals? I haven't had any bad deals. The, the early deal, like Laurel Kitchen 13 years ago, was... People said, oh, well, you that found... That couldn't have been a bad deal. There was nothing over there. You found a 
wonderful street in Division. I found the cheapest street in the city. Yeah. That, that was the reason we rented that space at 34th was it was the lowest cost. And that took balls in because there was nobody. There, there wasn't much there happening. There was Pock Pock was there. That, no, no. The Puck he Puck, wasn't even there yet? Two years later. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So you're really, you were the pioneer of Division. Uh, let's say that um, Cheryl, um, her chocolate place was across the street, Picks. Picks, right. Yeah, she was the first person. That was even before you? One year, six months before us. Wow. So that's a long time ago. Yeah, and those two places, yeah, they were, when I, so that's about, what what year was that? Because I moved here in 2005 and I remember going to Warrow. 2003, yeah. So, no, in the future, if there's other restaurants to do, it's because it's a very good location and the financial structure of the deal is very good. I think, but. Everybody thinks that, right? That's everybody like everybody wants saying that. I like to laugh. Everybody wants that, yeah. Um, but I think our industry has more power than it realizes. I think the chefs and restaurateurs who are looking at a space and negotiating are in a better, stronger position than they have been historically. And I think that developers, property owners, people like that, landlords, understand that the restaurant is the single greatest force that catalyzes their property. I think we've seen that all over town. See it everywhere. Everywhere. See it. The great, the key bar and the key restaurant and the key food market to shop, those things are the biggest movers of a restaurant. Right. Of, of, something of a, everybody has to do every day yeah. and it creates art and it's everything. But see, our profession has traditionally given in because we're chasing passion and art and creativity at such a high degree we're willing to give a little bit on the economics in order to open, in order to get going and do our business. That's been the Portland, that's been the gripe of Seattle about Portland is that you have the ability to do that. And maybe it's not as much of an ability as one thinks. It's, those on our side of the ledger could drive a harder deal because I like to say that the developer, the landlord, the people with the real estate, that's a static deal for them. That's something that they're going to hold for many years and it's going to appreciate. The restaurant is a fluid deal. It might end very quickly. It might, it might never reach its potential. It has a lot of risk financially and personally, much less risk than the real estate. So why would the operator who has to go to work every day and grind out all these meal periods for years and years take on more of the risk than the landlord? It doesn't make sense it's not really fair right because if the restaurant fails they just put somebody else in there it's turnkey let's do it again right so let's take a little bit of that risk off the restaurateur the chef let's move it over to the real estate owner because there is they were in a financial position to make that deal happen for the real estate that's pretty much done but this restaurant thing that we do it's it, it changes continuously and so what we haven't mentioned is the name of the restaurant and what, what you're going to be doing there. Tanner Creek Tavern. Mm-hmm. Tanner, uh, you know, they say in, in naming a restaurant, it, it has different uh, different categories. This one ends up being a place name because Tanner Creek runs from the West Hills to this day under the Pearl and out into the Willamette at the Broadway Bridge. So it was covered by the city fathers in the late 19th century and it was forced underground. So it's still there, running, every, mm. and we never see it. There's not a place. There's a full place that it, it says that it runs through, but I don't think that's really true. Um, so we just did a place name. It's it's organic. It's it's a it's something that's physically there. Did you know that, or did you? Yeah, do some been, research? no, I've been. I had done some research on it, and um, I like its pastoral. You know, it's a it's a tanner is from a tannery. 
So um, we're doing uh, a, a smaller version of Altavera, which has been a great success for us. It's been really uh, busy, and we've, we've been loving that up there. I was up there the other day. And had a really nice lunch. Oh, good. And um, so we're doing a ground-level version of that, a little smaller uh, dining room, smaller bar, smaller kitchen, not as doesn't have the big patio like we have over there. But um, we're... I got a great new chef too. I got a great, a great young man. And what's his name? Trevor Payne. Oh, he was just talked about. Trevor Payne uh, by he, by Benny Bettinger was just yeah. meant, was just talking about him. He's got he's he's a very talented, focused young man. He's been working his resume. He's worked his education. Where's he been? Uh, he's been. Not to put you on the spot, but no, I can name him. He's been to Olymp- Olympia Provisions. Um, Pigeon, uh, Little Bird. Um, there's a resume for anyway, you right there. Okay, you don't it's, there's, much further than that. there's more. There's more. Um, but he's just at the point at, in his career and in his life. He just had a child. Um, he's gets his own his own uh, kitchen now. He's, he's in full charge. First time. Yeah, and the tastings we've done, his his ideas, his. I'm look. I'm keeping my and Court and I are both keeping our eye peeled on the email on our email for the yeah for the inv- invite it, for the taste early uh, September. It's around the first week in September, okay. just after Labor Day. Cool. So uh, yeah, so I'm definitely excited about that. And um, this would be number three. This is four, four if you count Citizen Baker. Citizen Baker. It's a we'll count it. It's a separate company and it operates on its own. Um, and how's that doing? That's doing really well. It's the whole thing in the in the Lloyd district has been surprisingly is, wonderful. Is, is most of your business tourism there? Uh, no, I would say the hotel contribution to our overall is about ten percent. Really? Yeah, just that. Yeah, there's a misnomer about what hotels contribute to restaurant. If it's the restaurant of the hotel, it's about thirty percent. If it's an independent, it's about eight to twelve percent. So you've been doing this. We talked last time yeah. on the podcast. You've been doing the hotel thing for quite a while. You're the hotel thing is the Heathman and the Pazzo. And oh the, yeah, but I've been independent, right? At, at, at different periods of time, the hotel thing at my age is very good because it provides a lot of capital, private capital to do the project, and then it also provides uh, some other parts of the model that work very well. For instance, we usually do private dining rooms, mm-hmm. and so this gives us another opportunity for revenue because that's corporate work meetings companies want to have dinner parties receptions whatnot so are they more prone to make deals with guys like you because you've been around you've been around you got experience um not everybody can go in and make those deals like for instance Vitaly all of a sudden is yeah he's got two hotel restaurants and so he'll going forth be able to consider he'll consider more of those deals because he knows how to do them now Mm -hmm. and, and they're available to him so yeah, I think the hotel people look for that. I think they look for someone that can service their needs. So what are their needs? Destination restaurant within their hotel that markets their brand. Secondly, things like room service, things like uh, breakfast, they're interested in those things for their hotel guests. But generally it's the flagship in a hotel, the restaurant, if it's a good restaurant and it's busy, their clients, their their guests want to participate in that activity and more and more people are coming here just for the food anyway so the first thing they're doing is they're armed with lists of places they're going to go absolutely and you want if you're a hotel you want them to start right there 
or while they're here, one one meal period or two meal periods, would anybody be happy to have them for? Exactly. Yeah. So. Most really hardcore foodies have got the list and they hit the street. And they might hit you on the way back at night for a drink. They might get you for breakfast. Or then one of the people that they're meeting might say, you know, the place in the hotel you're at, that's pretty good too. You might you might have overlooked it. Yeah. Yeah. I've done that plenty of times. Absolutely. You may as well go while you're there. Yeah. And and all the better if you can be on that list yes. of places to go. Yes, so. exactly. So. Um, and I think, you, do you think Nel Centro and Altabira are getting on those lists? I don't know. It doesn't Where, matter to me. You don't it, care? No, I don't care. No, it does, I don't care. Wow, that's interesting. I would think that you would say, no, I'd really like to get there. No. You're no. Just, you're doing I've well. been on them. I've been off them. I've been, you know, something of real keen interest. I mean, Vindaloo is the most food, food-centric, one of the most food-centric restaurants ever in Portland for, for years. So, no, in the, in the present time, no, it doesn't. It doesn't concern me. I'm concerned with the fundamentals of how I'm doing. If someone writes about it or someone puts it on a list, because there's a downside to living like that, too. The downside is... It was a, when you stop getting written about. Well, it's a lot of people show up that are don't have a relationship to your business and come and try it and leave and whatever, and people are fickle. So I'd rather have, like when you asked me about Altabira, that's, it's counterintuitive. Most of the business is really local business. Now, we do get business from other sources because of where we're located, but you can't, there's no such thing as a restaurant that does those other groups, but not, ha, doesn't have a local base. I mean, it's not. Not here. No, not here. No. Not here. I think that's, you've got We don't have a, yeah. We've never had that tradition. Uh, like you do in New York or San Francisco. These are, these are but iconic. But that may change. How do you feel about the new the, about we, growth. Are, well, uh, there's growth, of course, but are we at the new Portland yet, or are we on our way? Do you think? Oh, I think we're. It's come faster than anybody thought. Yeah. I think the end of the recession and the beginning of the boom, and I do call this the boom that we're in, because if you look around, I think we have 19 cranes yeah, over the city right now. It's I like, remember when there were none, I remember and that was six, seven years ago. And not only were there none, there were no permits even in the pipeline. There was Everything had gone dead from the beginning of the process to the end. So we're in a boom. Uh, the boom is density. The boom is going up. The boom is infill. You could make city planning arguments. Those are all excellent values. To, it'll help us as a city because we won't burst our urban growth boundary. We won't affect agriculture. So I think that's good. Does does Oregon and Portland want to live in a dense, high, heavy street traffic, heavy, you know, pedestrian traffic environment like some other cities? I don't know. I don't know how that goes. It's a really interesting mix because here's this Oz, yep. if you want to call yep. it that, in the middle of all this beautiful, you know, landscape and nature, mountains, mm-hmm. rivers, ocean, but we're it going, can't go out. We're going tight and up. Right. And we're and we're blocking light, and we're but we're also putting a lot of activity on the street, and we're encouraging small business and the small owner operator like Europe to have a shop and to open that shop every day and to interact with that shopkeeper and your neighbor and the other shopkeeper. I think that's a good way to move to for our for this society here, uh, but it will make other people angry because of traffic. And because of congestion. Yeah, that's that's my gripe now. It's the traffic all the time, and to get anywhere, it's you, the 
a drive that was 20 minutes is yeah. now 45. But when we go to other major cities in America or in Europe, right. we're exhilarated when we feel that energy of people and traffic and noise and activity. We, 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 we crave it. We love it. So I don't know how much we love it for ourselves, ultimately. We'll see. Yeah. Because well, I don't not think... in my backyard, I guess. It's a... Absolutely. I don't think the development's going to stop. It's, it's, it's a little bit shocking. No. It's going to... It's... It's on its way, and I just saw this morning the, the new United Airlines survey of where people are moving, uh, Oregon's number uh. three or four again. It was number one and two for a while. South Dakota, number one this year. That might be for jobs or something. Yeah, maybe my friend Dave can explain that. <laughs> he can't. So, um, yeah, who, I, don't, I don't know if it's jobs over there. Maybe everybody wants to go see Mount Rushmore before yeah. Trump's face goes up there. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, I didn't expect the boom to come this quickly and be this big, but it, it has. So we, we got to deal with it. I don't think, uh, I think we're also, because I know we're going to phase into this topic, we're also at full employment. So for any of our friends from the right who are looking for jobs and looking for, they're here. There's, there are not enough people to do the jobs we have. And our industry is particularly and peculiarly affected. We're not we don't have enough people to answer the ads. And so what's going to happen with that? Because I see all the time uh, Facebook posts from chefs not only looking for people, but looking for people tonight. It's shocking. It, it, you know, there was a time years ago where, where when we needed somebody, we'd say, oh, don't place the ad. Wait another week. We'll, we'll, we'll network and it'll happen. We don't want to show that we're looking for people because we think, oh, maybe this isn't a great place to work. You know, we post an ad repetitively. It seems like we've got a problem. That's kind of like advertising, too. The restaurants yeah. don't like to advertise. Don't like to advertise. Reason. But everybody's all the time saying, we need people. We need people. So, uh, you know, I've thought a lot about this, why we're in this situation. I think some of it has to do with uh, this huge bulge that occurred uh, about 15 years ago in the in the cooking school industry the intake was enormous the loans were being written the kids were signing up they were getting into the programs they were learning knife skills and learning how to make stocks and soups it was on tv it was being reinforced everything was rocking and everybody thought it was going to stay stay but it it didn't a lot of those people graduated and they went into jobs they realized it was a very difficult profession and at 10 bucks an hour the, the wages were lower than they expected and the work was harder and there were some scandals in the loan industry as far as writing those loans for, for young people to go to cooking school and and get that degree so i think between the scandals and the realization of what was going to happen in the industry because kind of our industry is pretty close to it was in france 150 years ago i mean we're not we're not whipping people in the out in the bunkhouse or anything but it's not yet no anyway. But it's, pre it's demanding. And so that, um, that pathway has dried up. And uh, in our city, we had three cooking schools five years ago full. We only have one left. Two of them have gone out of business. So the culinary post-creative person seeking for a career in food, that uh, group has shrunk. I don't know what the percentage shrink is, but it's substantial. And um, so those that are showing up have less stars in their eyes about what it's all going to mean and there's less of them and the way the demand for wages is higher and the demand for schedule and lifestyle accommodations is higher so in old school something's got to give in old school it was i'm happy to have a job happy to work for you 
happy with this wage and happy with my schedule because you, this is what you say it is. And I accept that deal until I get in a position, you know, in my career or whatever to change those rules. But everybody kind of live by that creed. Mm, that's kind of off the table now. So what is it? <laughs> give me the new, give me the new. Uh... Oh my God. Whoever figures out how to make quality, beautiful, tasty food and get it to your table for a price that you're willing to pay where the, the enormous labor part of it has been reduced somehow. And, you know, we, we talk about casual food, fast food, food with numbers, pick up your food, food that you put your own order in. I mean, no one's perfected this and no one's figured out how to do this. Well, they're starting to, though. Yeah, you see more and more fast casual. Yeah, everybody's taking a look at it and trying to, um, you know, take, take part of that out. Have you seen how many different ways you can order a McDonald's cheeseburger now? I don't, I don't follow those. No. no, but it's very interesting because they have it set up so th- they've increased the number. when you The drive-thru yeah. now has two speakers. Yeah. There's one that came in next to me, and I, I was asking about two speakers, four kiosks wow. that you can go to before you even, instead of going to the register to order, yeah. and you can order online, and you can now have Uber deliver your McDonald's cheeseburger to you. It's well, so that's going to permeate, right? If they're doing that, yeah. and they've done the research. Yeah. That's going to end up at one of your restaurants in ten, fifteen well, you're, years. Well, it already has. I mean, we get orders for deliveries, and we don't have a relationship with the company that's picking up. It's like we don't know you. <laughs> we don't. I don't know if you're going to take that box and drive around for the next half an hour and deliver it cold. Or I mean, I I don't have a relationship with you. We had never talked. You never said, hey, could I deliver your food from your restaurant? I want to add it to they're my list. They're just doing it. They're just doing it. Wow. They're using the they're using the, the Uber, uh, you know, we're going to do it, and then you stop us. You 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 make it, you know. you. And it. how can you stop them? How can you say I'm not giving you this food as long as it's being paid for? You can call them up and ask them to be removed from their website. We're not one of the choices that we, we don't stand behind our food in the way that timing that you pick it up or you you bring it or whatever we, we could do that i'm sure mm-hmm. but so you know we're also at the end of i hate to say this because i am one but we're at the end of the baby boomer dictating dining we're at the end of that process where the prototypical two couples of a certain age make a reservation and go out to dinner mm-hmm. how they go to dinner what time they like to eat what they order what they spend we're at the end of that era it's so, clearly in front of us. And what is the, what is the new era? The new era is uh, obviously younger people who have who don't want to go through that process, who make their plans quicker and in the moment, the evening they're doing it, who tell their friends that they're doing it by social media, who eat differently, the amount of food and the size of the food, and drink differently. Are they doing more small plates? Yeah, and drinking more cocktails than bottles of wine. Certain th- like a bottle of wine was the key beverage of the baby boomer, right? Bottle of red wine, mm-hmm. whatever. It is not the key beverage of a millennial. It is, it is a, it's a mixed drink. That's Perhaps a, a mixed drink that was, the recipe was made that week or that day. And, and what do you think is going to happen in the wine industry then? Well, wines by the glass have become king. Uh, right now, rosé sells like mad. I mean, everybody's ordering rosé, which is great. It's a great, it's, at least it's wine. But um, yeah, the the boomer is the boomer is ruled We're, the restaurant business for the last twenty five years and in their reign is over. 
So I have so, to. So what are we going to do? We all got to adjust. <laughs> we all got to figure out if we can participate in an, in a faster, more impulsive, more organic way of dining and moving about. But our, our my children are in their mid to late twenties, so they're already there. They're already living like this, and I'm still living in the old old model. Are you watching what they're doing? Yeah, I'm watching with keen interest what they're doing. Yeah. So, but we're, we're, I guess, you know, all t- between the labor, the groups that are dining, the real estate, the boom, we're in, we're in a different realm at the moment than we've ever been. And when you talk about groups, are they big groups that are going out to dine? Because I recall when my kids were in school, the thing was everybody was hanging around in big groups of, yeah. peop- of kids. No, as they aged into their 20s, by their mid to late 20s, when they've got a stable job and they're kind of pairing off into couples i think things change again okay yeah it's there is a little bit of mimicking of what we did but generally it's it's a different it's a different game i find this conversation fascinating because i wanted to go into what that uh, what that uh generation is like in the kitchen and you're talking about what they're like on the other side of the in the front of the house well um you know uh I have two sons that both work in the restaurant business, one bartends and one cooks. Uh, but all my kids had to start at 16. They had to, while they were in high school, they had to come to work in one of our restaurants, usually on Friday and Saturday night, typically. Um, but we see things now we'd never see before. We hear things from employees we, we would never hear before, like... Uh, Give me a couple of gems. Oh, I, I need next Thursday off. It's my girlfriend's birthday. It's like... It's not your birthday. <laughs> it's your girlfriend's birthday. Next Thursday. You don't want to come here for the day. You don't want to you don't want to do your shift. Who should I have do that? I mean, what what are we talking about? So, there are things that were Are you patient with that now or are you uh, still going? What I gotta, the fuck? No, I got to live I have to I have to move through that type of question, that type of scenario for the first. I mean, I have people who ha- who take a cell phone and put it near where they're working. 10 year I mean the the idea of, of talking or texting while you're working in the restaurant business with either in the kitchen or in the front of the house would be, I mean, it's unacceptable and now it's reality. So what's, what's a choice of somebody running a business to create a hellish environment, you know, disciplining people and firing people and, or just to say, ah, this tide has turned. The, th- the thing is part of what we're doing now and we got to deal with it. We got to be safe. We got to be logical, but, those are examples. I mean, things, things that a younger person takes for granted when they express them in the work environment and you think, or I think, that's not appropriate. It's not even close to what we used to do or what we think is right, but you actually think it's normal. We all have to adjust to that. So you, you don't take any time to say, here's what should be normal, and, uh, and you've, just, you've just succumbed to it at this point. I think they all know what, what's considered to be normal, and I think that, well, first of all, there's more of them than there is there is of us. I mean, right. I mean, they, they are the future. And, and yeah, it's not going <laughs> to be reversed. This is no. not a, this is not a coal thing. No, they're stronger, they're faster, <laughs> they're smarter. It's not going to happen in reverse. No, it's not coal. Coal's <laughs> not coming back either. Right. So yeah, that's another big change. Just what expect you know? Like, I'll give you an example. There's a, everyone who's in the business. If they listen to this, they'll know this one. It's the latest, greatest thing. You place an ad and you get some response. Well, let's just take a waiter and uh, you set a time I've heard for an interview. They no show. 
And I think, well, the no-show, that's an anomaly. It's not an anomaly. I think if you've got 10 interviews lined up, the no-show rate, no-show, now is probably 50%. And then I think about that. Why? What would that say to tradition? I mean, what would say you had a job offer and you have a date and time to be somewhere to meet somebody to discuss it, but you just don't show. What I think they're thinking is, wait a minute, I looked at it online, I responded online, you responded back, and we set up the date and time. That's a sufficient amount of involvement in that process. That's it. Because I can say to my friends, you know, I have, I got a job interview. You know, they're, they're taking a look at me over at fill in the restaurant. Or I got a time and date I'm going to say. But the reality to us is that you took the job and you yeah. started. The reality somehow ended about halfway through that process. Do you think that has to do, I, I sometimes, I like to equate everything to video games. Because I think in this day and age, you click and get a result. And you can just walk away from the game, by the way. I think that's, do anything. I think that's a good point. I think that's a, a good analogy. It feels like that's proper. Yes. Yeah, there's different a, options. Different it's, options here. It's shocking. Go or no go? Yes. No go. As I visit the restaurant, say, hey, how did that interview go? How are you doing on that bone position? We're looking for you. Uh, we've had uh, three no-shows. It's like, how? The, the preponderance of those that answered the ad no-showed. And so then when they show... What you're saying is they're picking up a phone <laughs> while they're working, while they should be prepping and deciding what, to, what they need it's, to do. It's... Uh, well, you know, I mean, this was a very militaristic, harsh, dictatorial profession for so long mm-hmm. that everything was controlled. How you dress, no noise, how you spoke. Yes, chef, no chef, no discussion with you. I mean, there is a lot of rules and a lot of hierarchy in this industry. And a lot of that's fallen away. Um, so do you, as a restaurant owner, are you happy that you have someone in as a buffer between you and having to deal with that because well, otherwise you'd be killing people? I mean, I have chefs and managers, but ultimately I'm going to have to deal with it. You know, we're getting close, and I think it's happened to some people. We're getting close, precariously close to the situation where you're ready to open for a meal period, like let's say dinner, and you don't have enough staff to do the period. You don't have a person for that station. You don't have a waiter for that those tables. You don't have a the second bartender, we're, we're living right there now. And it's... That's, do, you close the, the, do you close down the stations? I, I don't... We haven't had to do it, um, but no one wants to live like that. No, everyone wants a full staff, and everyone wants some part-time people behind them, and everyone wants some trainees or some people that we're talking to behind them. I mean, that's a healthy business cycle going in. We're not in that cycle. We're so far out of that cycle. We're in a not a complete staff that's going to work every day. I think almost all of us are in that situation. And that's interesting because as we come, as we become a larger restaurant, a larger market and a larger restaurant market, now you got people coming in with expectations from New York and yes. San Francisco and Seattle. Yes. And, and the, the, the rub on Portland for a long time has been having figured out the service, service. part of the business. Service, yes. Um, and, I, and I argue that I've had, you know, really great yeah. experiences. But on the other hand, I get asked some questions or told, you know, when you ask, how's this dish? I don't know. I've never had it. I've heard yeah. that so many times. No, there's no time to train because you're taking them from, but you want the job. Yes, you're on the floor. I mean. Well, there's that. And then I saw our friend Nick Zukin post the other day about, he said, I'm really trying to uh, be diverse, but when I hire vegans, (laughs) it never works out. 
And anyway, he's running a meat-centric restaurant. It's, it's uh, you know, we do, I think as an industry, and most people agree, we do well with uh, those, with transplants, with those young people who are arriving from other markets who do really well with Midwesterners. I mean, I mean, Michigan, uh, uh, Wisconsin, these, the kids that show up, you know, they got an education, they've worked Here's the prototype that really works. You're in high school, you work at your local restaurant, diner, or fast food in your town while you're in high school. You went to college, you cooked, you flipped steaks, or you waited tables, or you bartended while you're in college. Then you hit Portland, and you're looking for a job. You say, I've done this business for a while now, and I like to get more involved and more professional. We usually have really good results with that uh, type of young person. And... Uh, so let's let's talk about the the flip side. <laughs> Why you got to go there? <laughs> because it's uh, that's the challenge. If, if it was all like that, you wouldn't be talking about the problems that you have. Uh, you're you're a West Coast younger person. It's typically more laid back. Maybe, um, you know, maybe a little more privileged in that regard. Uh, Let's face it, those from the Midwest or backies have made the journey. They've right. made the commitment. They've taken some risks. I've always felt that that. Um, you know, my being an, I feel like a uh, different kind of Oregonian because yeah. I really, ch- I chose to be here yeah. and it wasn't easy. I had kids in school and I couldn't just pick up and go. I had to sell a house. And yeah. do, it was not easy. So no, was I a, love the fact, yeah. I really love this place and I really want to be here. Right, right. You value it very highly. I, I think, and also, you know, typically when you arrive, you're not really quite you haven't comprehended the, the totality of the society that you've now decided to live in. You Like, how does it really work? And where is this and where is that? So, but, um, yeah, and I can't think of a bigger, you know, we're not in an issue. Go back years ago, we were, we were in, we had issues of, you know, food production, agriculture, quality, beef, fish, fresh, this. We got, we've got the larder, so to speak, is stocked. All the, all the, everything's nice and chilled and, it's all fresh and it's beautiful. And everyone's trained to, to create beautiful food. It can't work without a infrastructure of labor to actually prepare the food and present it at the table. It can't work. It has to have labor. And you know what labor we compete with now, too, is construction. As people go, especially you know, young guys, say, I could, I could work a station for you. I could, sa- I could saute. Or I could hang sheetrock. I could frame. And you make a lot more money. A lot more money. And, and you know, generally the heat and the, and the physicality, the pressure and the pace, they're about the same. Mm-hmm. They're about the same. And, and, so, and, the, and the construction is a lot more money. And so we're, we're, it's not just I'm in- I'm going to say with the two million Portlanders listening to this podcast, <laughs> you've just killed the, the employment industry. <laughs> <laughs> Employment, oh my God! When I, and then when I see on TV our friends um, in a certain party saying, you know, that we want to get more jobs and we want to do this, and it's like uh, we we need more people to actually work. Just show up and just just do it, and show up for the interview. How about that? Hey, it could be a, you could work three days a week, four days a week. We don't care. It doesn't have to be five days at eight hours. It could be three days at seven hours. But um, so anyway, going forward, we'll. Is Portland going to grow? Sure. Is our industry going to grow or shrink? That's another question. That's a, that's a little, the crystal ball doesn't have that picture, I don't think, yet. And do we have 
We vote. I mean, we've been saying this for a few years. Do we have too? Do we still have too many restaurants for this size city? I mean, it's kind of crazy if you really think about it. It's it's almost laughable how many choices we have. You well, know, when someone closes a restaurant and they talk about it being a shame, I feel very bad for the people personally. But as far as the market goes, I mean, okay, we still have a lot of choices. You know, I think we're, I, and I'm sure other people, is, I think we're on a path to be in the typical European city that is a lot of apartments that are smaller in square footage, and those people that inhabit them, especially young, leave the apartment environment and are in the streets all day. So they're eating out, they're drinking out, they're meeting people at bars, they're sitting in cafes. And so I don't know if we have enough or too many options to sit down and eat and drink. It's possible because of the nature of real estate and how we live that we're going to be a society in this city who lives outside our apartments, mm-hmm. who socializes. Sense. And so we're not, we don't have the big kid, I mean, like in Rome or Florence or, or something like that, you're tight in, in, and so you're claustrophobic, so you're out all the time. We're, we might be heading in that direction too. But the flip side of that is everybody's, uh, you know, sitting there with their phone at home. They're not going <laughs> and they, they can socialize that way. And, and uh, we, would, we would all be futurists if we could plot the way this thing is going. There's a lot of forces that are conflicting. So when you were um, a long time ago, when you were yes. at the Heathman and Pazzo, could you have seen this scenario? What did you do? You, can you possibly look back and think where you were going to be twenty years ago, or twenty five, thirty years ago? You no. go way back. When was your first restaurant? We talked about this uh, in the other uh, podcast I, I, in San Francisco in nineteen eighty six, and then in Portland you were here. Pazzo ninety one. Ninety one. Yeah. So the cool thing, the for me. I just actually got invited to go to Pazzo last week. Oh, that really? was the first time yeah. anybody said, let's meet at Pazzo. Yeah, I yeah. had all my things in mind. And um, so uh, when my parents died, I got my hands on my mom's diaries. She kept diligent diaries of everywhere they no had for years. And they had a lot. My parents ate a lot. Yeah. And they had visited Portland. And I got to go back and look at the exact year. But I think it was 98, 99. Mm-hmm. And um, they sent me a postcard, I think it might have been, right? Because mm-hmm. how else other than talking? Yeah. That I would love it here. And that, they, you know, and that stuck with me. But the diary entry for Portland the first day is Pazzo. Nice. Were you, then, were you there then? I left they, in 97. No, okay, so yeah. it might have been about then. It, might have been, yeah. it, was, it was right after then. Yeah. But, uh, but I left Pazzo, it in good shape. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's still in good shape. I had a nice shape. meal there yeah. the other day. Yeah. Uh, but... The Pazzo was a was an integral part of the food scene back then, and it's, I don't think of it. We it discussed this last time. I don't think of it as it doesn't even come to mind when someone says, for me, when someone says, let's go grab a bite downtown. Well, it's it's 26 years old. I mean, that's that's big that's part of it. That's a long time part for a restaurant. And when we opened in 91, the, want to know the opposite of labor? The line that I opened with, every single person became a, a significant chef either in Portland or left for other parts of the United States, but everybody that was on that line was a chef. Not a cook, not a line jockey, not a sous chef, was a chef. So I had chef, 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 chef right down the line. And who were they? Uh, in those years, we had Benjamin Gonzalez from uh, Nuestra Casino. Casino. Um, we had John Hike, the chef owner of Bombs Away in Corvallis. We had Dan uh, in the middle who went to work for Lydia Bastianich. 
we had Vitali on uh, Lunch Grill. That would be Vitali Paley? Yeah. Okay. We had Not one of the others. The many we had, others. We had um, <laughs> we had Scott Dolich come in and, and work for, with us. We had uh, oh Adam Sappington from Country. We had a lot of people. Those, on those are lines. all the guys. Yeah, from Country Guy. That's, yeah. Those are all the guys who are now. Yeah. In the position to those positions of of stations were filled by people that you know today. That because it was a hump. It was like a, the Yankees. Was the Yankees? It was a humping machine. It was. It was. We really were busy. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of good people came through there. Um, and then um, I mean, uh, Oswaldo Bibiano, who owns Authentica, he was there on the line too, and a lot a lot of people. More people, I can't even remember. He's really talented. I wonder, yeah, I got, he, we had him on, and yeah. I don't know who he's had through his restaurant, who's now, because he's had that restaurant for quite a while. I think he's at least uh, a decade old. Yeah, yeah. I think he yeah. just celebrated 10, maybe yeah. last year or the year before. Yeah. So, yeah, Pazzo was a big, uh, it was very busy. He actually, we need to find out, Court, what um, episode that was, because he talks about Pazzo, and he had a really funny, I remember he had a really funny story about that, and he was thrown into it. He started in the cafe making sandwiches. For, right. For the, that's how it began. Right. Yeah. And, and he, he was just smarter and faster than everybody. But he had, that's, uh, he was, I think he was wondering, why am I going to, why am I here making sandwiches? But okay, I'll yeah. do it the best I can. I'll be a good sandwich absolutely, maker. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it just, it kind of went, and then I took him to South Park when we, when we moved up the street and opened that place. He came there. And there were a lot of people at South Park. And there's another one that doesn't, for me. Yeah. It's not on Eater. You, I never see South Park mentioned on Eater. That, t- to me, is generally the benchmark for the, the you know, scene. We so should maybe talk about that because I have a venue and I'm not getting any younger. I think what you're talking about is scale. Per- Portland, Portland food media historically has a bias against scale, meaning uh, beyond a certain amount of seats. That And a lot of us are from environments like I'm from San Francisco and my food background p- Different, a lot of people in the city are people from New York, Chicago. There's a ton of restaurants in big cities that have 200, 250 seats that kick out tremendous food and have, have a tremendous experience. I've been on cruise ships that <laughs> kick out amazing, it's incredible a, it's like, food. It's not really. So I think there's, oh, if you look at your, li- whatever list you want to bring up, whatever the, the originator of that list, you're not going to find a 200-seater on it. You just not, and 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 it hasn't been that way for a long time. Uh, look at Chessa. I don't know how many seats were there, but that was a fairly large restaurant. Not not huge. Seventy five, maybe yeah, 80, 75 85 that, seats. And that was talked about a lot. That that yeah. didn't get that got press. Yeah, but when I had I ate there twice, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, and but you know, I mean, you you can. But I guess that's not the example. It would be South Park. Yeah. And South Park has a new chef right now. I just ate there last Sunday night after a show at PSU. I walked through the park blocks, and I ate there with my wife. It was very good. It was really good, and the food's been really good lately. But it's scale that does it to these bigger places. It's not people go, well, it's in a hotel, or it's this, or that. It's like, you know what? Um, take a look at actually what's going on there rather than using uh, biases, uh, which – really have to do with, do you think that only a small restaurant could produce a quality dinner? Is that kind of true? Sure. Sure. It's not not true. But is it always true? No, it's not. There's plenty of small restaurants that do a terrible job, and there's plenty of big restaurants that put out a consistently great dinner. And so do you have, in top of mind, do you have some of those in Portland that you would say that you would like to give a shout-out to that oh, don't get the press? No, I could never do that. 
I could never do that. That's kind of I have to be diplomatic in that regard. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah, no. I well, that was be. I'm just talking about no. A positive I know. I know a positive. Saying, yeah, because but whoever I missed on the positive. Oh uh, well. Yeah. You, you can. We can do a disclaimer that you're you're older. <laughs> wiser, <laughs> wiser, and you're you're not expected to remember More everything relaxed. right off the bat. Yeah. Well, anyway, you yeah. me- we mentioned South Park, so there's them. So everybody else, other than South Park, Let's go back and look in Willamette Weeks of uh, 1995. You'll see an inherent uh, uh, cultural bio- bias for ethnic food. Every new ethnic of different cuisines. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. That. So it was that was a trend then. It's like uh, it was uplifting of you know, diverse menus and cultures and things. And then it became uh, smaller restaurants were better and the chef-owned were better than co- than company-owned. That, to me, has been the last 10 years, yeah, chef-owned. Yeah, And, and there's do you think that of, will ever change here? Uh, maybe not. I mean, go to Chicago. Go to a Richard Melman restaurant. Let us entertain you. There's probably 70 of them in downtown Chicago. They're all different concepts. It's a, it's a company, and you're going to have a fantastic experience. You're going to have a great food and great service. So to say that, you know, I mean, does Danny Meyer open up? He opens large restaurants, too, in New York City, and they do really well. And that's a different market, though. But in my yeah. fi- my perception here is, and I may be wrong, but it's one of the reasons we started this podcast, mm-hmm. and it's one of the reasons I started doing what I do, is that um, I come from the New York area. I was a sports fan as a kid. I get out here. (laughs) When I moved out here, the expos were a possibility to move here. And they didn't. And so I thought, okay, the Blazers, I've been a fan of the NBA for years. We don't have a lot of sports here. We're number 22 market in the country. We're the largest market to have have one. Okay, you want, want, let's call soccer now, but I never, I always thought the four major sports. So I always thought that our, chefs yes. or our sports celebrities because they're and they're mm-hmm. even better because they're approachable you mm-hmm. can see them and talk to them and they'll come out to the table you yeah. don't have a guy leaving you know the court to come up and talk to you and as a matter of fact you have to pay to even get near them um so i think i think we have another example uh in like in jazz we have a tremendous amount of national highly qualified jazz players live in portland in, uh, on all instruments, bass, piano, vocals, sax, whatever. Um, a lot of those people arrived here in the, through the mid-80s to the mid-90s because of the two reasons, buy a house, put your kids in public school. Same reason we have a lot of chefs. chefs yeah. The same reason, exactly. Um, so, and a market to the, our north that was much more expensive and, and more gentrified and had more powerful corporations and a similar market to the south in San Francisco. And so we, a lot of influences came together to make what happened happen. Do you think we, I mean, what we need are the corporations. And we have some smaller tech companies coming in now. When people talk about what's possible, think about Amazon and Boeing and start, think about the power of those in our national economy. Think about San Francisco, Twitter and Facebook and Google, and think about what we have. We have some apparel, we have some high tech, but... We don't not, we're not close to the power of those two civic business entities. That I wonder, but do you think it would change? I mean, we're maybe we're. I, mean, I think we're more eyes on us now. We're better off probably for not being under the shadow of that much corporate influence, that much financial clout. But I can say for our industry, if you're in the food business in Seattle or San Francisco, and you're looking out in your dining room, 
you're full most nights because there's so many people dining on business. That's what we had, again, to reference another podcast, but that's my point of reference. Yeah. We had Ethan Stoll here. Right. And recently, he does really well in Seattle. And he's like, the, the reason he's not in Portland, or one of the main reasons is because he's got, it's, why not open another one up there? He's, he's dialed in. He's got a great reputation. He's got great restaurants. And a lot of that business is corporate. And, it, and it's not a bad word when you're saying it's corporate. All it means is people at work, give it, let's just say Starbucks, get out of a full day and say a bunch of us are going to dinner or we're entertaining some people from out of town. It's, it's commerce that is based in relationships that are at work rather than at home. That's not a negative. It's not a... It's not a well, in some of those cases, it's, it's expense accounts and absolutely corporate events. Too. Absolutely. It's those other two things. But we need that. As like you asked me early on, your model for hotels and everything, I'm just, it's, it's corporate events, it's expense accounts, it's private rooms. It's another, and Ethan Stoll would say the same thing. I have, I have private rooms and I have private events. Tom Douglas, the same thing. We do cooking classes. We do private events. I think diversification like that is important coming forward. I think the linear dining room that says we open at 5, we're going to serve 75 dinners, and we're going to close at 10, we're going to clean up. I think the future, that's going to be hard to do. You're going to need to think about some other aspects of that. And that, do I have a, a private dining room? Do I have the ability to cater and leave the space? But it seems to me that every restaurant that opens up now has the private, has a private facility. Because they're, they're often asked, do you have a private room available for fill in the blank? 12 people, 16 people, 24 people. It's often asked by either corporate groups or families who want to get together, everybody get together. So that's a change in the marketplace where everybody's looking for a private room. Good or bad, I don't know. It's just yeah, the demand. I, uh, for me, a guy who does events, I always look at how many, of, how many of those things are. And I'm salivating, like, how do I get these people who are coming into you and saying, mm -hmm. can we have the, I can do events for them all day long. Yeah. And, but there are so many. Because everybody's got, to, everybody's got to have a room now. Well, the biggest group of people seeking that are, are companies. Right. Because, and, you know, one of the, it's, a, it's a kind of a spinning wheel of marketing. So the CEO or whatever, the head of sales comes in and he has a lunch or a dinner. And he goes back and he said, next time we do a meeting or next time we do a reception, for call that restaurant that I just ate at and see if they have a private room. I really like what they're doing. So that is kind of how this thing goes. It's just... It just builds on itself. Wow. Um, yeah, I was waiting to get the high sign from court over <laughs> here. I knew it was coming, right. but they, under, but under. you know what? I wasn't I wasn't waiting because uh, it's always it, the two times we've had you on have been very engaging, and that's why we had we yeah. you weren't on long ago. I wanted to have no, you on. I was maybe was maybe ten months ago or you. Not ago? even. It was I think it was fall of last year or maybe summer oh, of last okay. year. Okay. Okay. So, so um, no. well, it's very relaxing here. I feel very nurtured. It's isn't it beautiful? It's everyone is kind. <laughs> <laughs> we got we've got beverages or d'oeuvres. <laughs> but yeah, I'll tell you what I would love to do. Uh, it would yes. be it would be an honor to just go out and eat with you sometime. Now, Let's do it. Yeah, I'd Let's, love to do I'm that. I'm going. You know, I made a. I'm going to eat at uh, Le Chan. Is that how it's pronounced? Mm -hmm. Right down the street. I've never been there. I've never been there, but my chef Luis at Altabira loves it. He goes right. there all the time, so I'm going to go. And uh, tonight with my wife. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Did you ever get over to Paiche before they stopped serving dinner? There's a, no. there's a case. I got to have him on. No. Where that was so interesting to, I, to I, close for dinner and now open from seven a.m. to noon every day. 
Uh, I did go to uh, Hunt Oak recently. Okay. And have you been there? Oh, yeah. yeah. And we did an event there not okay. long ago. Yeah. I How had, do you like it? It was great. I had really good food and really very passionate place. And it's fun. What's next door? There's another space just next door that I see a lot of cooks and chefs. What, meatballs? No, that's in the other direction. The other one just had a fire, too. Uh, the pie Tales, place. Tails and Trotters and Fire. Right. But after that, there's another space between Providor. Oh, there, oh, between Providor, I don't know. Yeah. Somewhere. And the fire. There's another restaurant. Court, if we were on radio, we'd have someone call in right now to right. give us that, but we don't have it. No, we we'll, don't. We'll, we'll, we'll find People out. are screaming at their uh, their iPad, iPod. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's hope. So, so do you have a do you have a traveling Instagram thing that you do? Uh, well, is my it, Portland Food ADV is, that is, what it is? is my Instagram. Yeah. So I'm Portland Food ADV. Right. But Right at the Fork doesn't post under that. Well, so Right at the Fork has kind of been taken over by our buddy Gary the Foodie. So uh, he has his monthly show here. And uh, right now he's posting there, and he he shut down his Gary the Foodie account. I don't know, why, but I'm sure maybe by the time this comes out, he'll be back. By you, is that okay? Is it? It's fine. It's fine. Well, put it this way: we weren't doing much okay. for a podcast. Yeah, we could post your picture right, and say, right. "Listen to the episode." Right. And I'm focused on my thing. Court's focused on his thing. Yeah, got it. And so to be focused on two things is kind of tough. Got it. Okay. And so. For Gary to do it, it's been great because yeah. he's posting a lot of food. Yes. Um, there's certainly a lot of food on that thing. And yes. it, it has gotten to the point, I'll say this to you, I said okay. this to someone the other day, and I th- I'm saying it to more than you. It's pretty funny because I'll be sitting there by myself at the coast and I get these notifications. Every time Gary has a <laughs> fucking dish, I'm looking at what he's eating, which is fine. It's great. But- um, He's pumping out a lot of images. He eats a lot of food. Yeah. So it's like nine- 15 notifications for one meal, and uh, I finally had to turn the notifications off. No, he's in great shape. He walks everywhere, and uh, he goes to the gym. That's great. But he'll go go out and have three or four dinners in one night, and that's his his social life, and it's what he enjoys doing. So, and he'll travel to Chicago, and lots to San Francisco, LA, Paris, and he'll go down there for two days and have eight meals, eight dinners. See, people think that's easy and it sounds glamorous and sexy and fun and and wild, but it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, well, no, it's it's a lot. It's it's demanding. It's, yeah, yeah, I could, I get exhausted looking at it. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) So, um, but I'm glad Gary does it. And I'll tell you what, there's something he does that no, I, not many people do in this town. He's the first one to get to the new pop-ups and the restaurants. He knows what's going on. He follows it. And uh, he's just like a sports fanatic follows what they're doing. He's following the food. So what's And we can't keep up with it as well as he does. What's your baseball team? Is it the Yankees or the Mets? Oh, the Mets. I was going to say, of course, the Mets, but um, but I've been a Mets fan since the late 60s. So, since they won, since 69 when they won. I was there, man. You Game there. five. I was at Shea Stadium when I was 11 years old. You weren't there old. in 86, were you, for the Red Sox? I was watching on TV, but I got a story about that, but I don't think we <laughs> have time. time. I would love to tell that story someday because uh, it was great. I was actually, quickly, I was on I-95. I'm one of the yeah. only people to have heard it on the radio. The oh, Bill, Bill Buckner, Buckner when the ball went through I his legs. I heard it on the radio because it was my 10th high school anniversary that <laughs> night. And all these, I lived near New York, yeah. and all these Harvard guys were there cheering for the Red Sox. Absolutely. And I said to my wife, let's get let's get out of here. Yeah. And uh, therefore I 
never got. I saw it later. I was taping the so game. So it was on the radio as you were driving down. The road. I heard Bob Murphy. I don't think anybody yeah. heard Bob Murphy do that yeah. call. Who was a Met fan? I got to hear it. So, David, thank you so much. Chris, it was a Appreciate pleasure. it. We got to right. do it again. Yeah, and let's one. do one over dinner too. All right, thank you. Or at least one. Yes. Thanks. All right. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupans, unsurpassed quality. From the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years, Zupans Markets. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Mm-hmm.